0: This is Corinne, and this is Ayani, and you're listening to Sex, Love, Literature, a pop culture podcast where we take a semi-scholarly look at why, and how, the sex stuff in media matters.
1: This episode, we're joined by Franny and Sophie, hosts of the Girls Like Us podcast, to chat Casey McQuiston's runaway hit novel, Red, White, and Royal Blue.
0: The four of us talk queer romance, political fantasy, and what it is that makes so many English majors want to start a podcast.
1: (laughs) If you're enjoying our English major podcast, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SexLoveLit.
0: And maybe even share us with a friend or two.
1: So with that, let's start the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Sex, Love, Literature. We are very, very excited (laughs) to have y'all with us today. So if you've been following our Instagram, you'll see that this episode, we are going to be talking about the book Red, White, and Royal Blue. But this is also a special episode because we have some people hanging out with us in the pod today so folks i would like to introduce you to sophie and franny from girls like us Hey, hey! thank you guys for
2: having us on we're this very excited dream. yeah this the is... american dream if you Don't will <laughs>
3: yeah. i literally am not ready for that discussion i would lit- i'm not there yet Oof. we're gonna have
1: to warm up to that one <laughs> we're
3: have to warm up to that one
1: yeah that one will be happening though it is it is mm-hmm. definitely in the notes for today <laughs>
3: Yeah, my question, like, briefly maybe about this book would be, like, like did sh- did the author
0: not know that Hamilton existed when uh. they wrote it? <laughs> oh, I mean, I feel like the author definitely was, like, in conversation with Hamilton fandom when she wrote it.
3: Right. Yeah. It was, like, a really interesting mixture of, like, Hamilton the musical exists, but also, like, we're not going to say that it exists. And that <laughs> was, like, to me,
1: I'm, like... You didn't invent Hamilton. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because they did a lot of like name dropping of other kinds of political stuff too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but before we dive too deep into that conversation, yeah, because we're excited. As you can see, we're already like chomping at the bit to get going. (laughs) Ah, uh, Sophie and Franny, why don't y'all introduce yourselves to our listeners? Who are y'all? Why are y'all here? Um, how can they tell your voices apart if they have never heard you before? Like, what's the deal? Oh my gosh!
2: I think Sophie, Sophie, maybe talks slower than me. I think I'm kind of a fast okay. talker. I don't know. That's I'm like that's a, we do have similar vocal, f- of course. Um, as white women who do a podcast, we do a vocal fry, so that's <laughs> not going to be uh, helpful to anyone. Um, but yeah, we host girls like us, so that we're a podcast that covers YA literature, um, and we kind of do like main series, like so we covered the Click and then Pretty Little Liars, and then we kind of intersperse that with like random one-off YA books, um, and so that those can kind of run the gamut. Like this next week, we're going to be covering Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld um so basically if you grew up you know in the 2000s reading YA lit we're probably going to cover one of your one of your favorite books from when you were a tween
0: oh yeah I listened to your looking for Alaska episode the other day (laughs) yeah
3: that's Franny's the smart one and I'm the angry one I feel like that's kind of evidenced (laughs) by that podcast
0: I mean, I feel like that's warranted. I mean, my only really John Green experience is my advisor for my master's being like, well, if you're going to write about sex stuff, you're going to have to read Looking for Alaska. And then I did. And then your podcast had many of the feelings that I had about it.
2: (laughs) If you want to know what a blowjob is, you're gonna to have to read the scene where Alaska gives a blowjob <laughs> right. to a tube of I-
3: toothpaste. <laughs> oh. oh my my! Like it's just funny. I mean, as we said on that on that specific podcast, like it's just weird to like in real time as an adult be like, oh wait, like this is what ruined me. Like I f- I found it <laughs> out. Like this is it. This is what this is what's wrong with me. All these years I've been trying to unpack something that I couldn't name, and it was actually just. The novel Looking for Alaska by John Green that
1: like (laughs) (laughs) ruined my life, like fully. Oh my god. I'm very glad that I have not read this one based on what y'all were saying. (laughs) It kind of seems like nightmare fuel in some ways, especially as an adult. Like, I just that doesn't sound like something i need. No, leave it no. alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: we were we were saying that it was kind of like it it was truly like we were transported back to the feelings that we had as like 16 Ooh. year olds which is not pleasant. So yeah. <laughs> I would not recommend it uh especially in the kind of after the year-long trauma that we've all endured. It was it was a lot for my brain. <laughs> yeah.
3: John Green, baby, if you're listening, email me. I've got questions. Like, <laughs> like, send, shoot me an email. It's in my Twitter bio. Like, it's easy. I'm easy to find.
1: Well, if y'all couldn't tell from that little outburst there, we're all English majors in one sense or another. Uh, and it's something that I know we've laughed about a little bit before the podcast, but... The fact that it seems like the study of literature just leads you to doing podcasts about literature. So like... Yeah.
2: Here's my theory on it. I'm going <laughs> to say that all of us were probably... And this is, you know, obviously, I I don't know you two that well, but this is a snap judgment that I'm going to make, okay? I'm guessing <laughs> that we were all people who talked a lot <laughs> in our what? English no. classes. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and we're, yep. Yeah. and And we were probably like you know you get at least at my school you would get like an english class and it would be like you know 50 percent of people were majors and then you'd get some like non-majors who were like fulfilling like you know Mm -hmm. random Mm -hmm. stuff too who did not want to talk and i think that that's a skill that we've all had to kind of develop and of course the job market is not gonna there's there's no job that's really gonna let us use those skills in our day-to-day life and but we've I think we've come to realize that as kind of an outlet, right? Mm. So when we no longer have the outlet of the classroom setting to do that in, next best thing, it's got to be a podcast, right? (laughs) Yeah, getting (laughs) on mic
1: with the boys. (laughs) (laughs) And so here's a weird question. Were you guys kids who recorded yourselves on, maybe I guess it wouldn't be tapes, but like on the computer? I used to like sit with my microphone and like a cassette tape and just record myself, I don't know, doing what, voice acting, pretending to be different characters? So it's kind of like... This was the path.
2: You know, I um, I actually uh, had, I made a, a podcast in sixth grade uh, called Poké News, which was about Pokémon. <gasps> oh, oh. And odd. I believe I also had a very short one um, uh, about Twilight, uh, which was in seventh grade. Um, I was very, very into this American life and wait, wait, don't tell me. And so this mm-hmm, was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. I, I have certainly grown up uh in the in the podcast sphere
3: (laughs) yeah i um i was like i got in big trouble as like a 10 year old because my parents found a youtube channel that i had made where i was like (laughs) singing and like i had like a broken arm at the time so like my my arm was like bound like up above my head and i like put on like a leotard and sang a bunch of songs from the musical chicago and put them on youtube (laughs) and my parents were like Like, you need to take this down. Like, have you heard about, like, internet safety? (laughs) Um, So that was my main experience. I... Like, my dad was always trying to, like, get me, like, when podcasts first came out, like, anybody could make a podcast, Mm -hmm. he would, like, record me and, like, try to get me to, like, I don't know, be funny on mic, and I just, you know, (laughs) kind of refused. So, you know, (laughs) it it wasn't in my blood, I will say. (laughs) (laughs) It's a learned
1: trait. It's a whole other thing to have to be funny on command, you know? (laughs) It's like, I'm funny for me, damn it. I'm not going to make jokes just because you tell me to. So, like, I I get that. I get that. (laughs) Well, excellent. So I guess before we dive into our our uh, red, white, and royal – it's going to be hell for me to say that name every time. Like, I'm going to have to make an acronym out of it. I'm messing up every time with the royal blue. It turns into royal woo. But yeah. <laughs> before we get into that, let's do a really quick round of What's Sparking Joy, in which we talk about a piece of media, video game, comic book, television show, piece of music that is bringing you joy in this – difficult year half a year we have been having so mm. corinne what spark and joy for you
0: yeah so as long-time listeners may know i'm very into k-dramas this is well established but my current k-drama genre obsession are horror rom-coms and there's one airing right now called alternately sell your haunted house or daybok realty in which the main the female lead is a Exorcist who runs a real estate company and will exercise ghosts and then sell the properties and I That's deeply incredible. love it. It That's is incredible. It is my favorite like genre convention because it is so practical <laughs> in a <laughs> genre that is ridiculous that it's just deeply, deeply funny.
1: (laughs) So I don't appreciate how scary this one is, though. Krim was like, oh, horror rom-coms, they're not scary, it'll be fine. I have screamed, I want to say, at least three or four times about ghosts popping up out of nowhere, being in, like, the sauna and in people's apartments. Oh my
0: gosh, how
2: many ghosts... Like, no. it scares me that this is a profitable business for this character <laughs> like that's not something I want to think about personally no
0: I mean I've like I've seen a lot of horror rom-coms because I like seek them out now and also I have no horror tolerance like zero none absolutely none but like horror rom-coms I'm like yeah this this works <laughs> I'm here for this for some reason and yeah I started Aeonion on 1 that is like
1: on the scarier side I think what was the one that, like, I screamed and grabbed you? Was that the water ghost? I think that was the water ghost. No, it, she popped out of nowhere. She just she like, popped out of the water. I mean, okay, she <laughs> popped out of the water. But, like, oh, and we knew it was coming. You were like, oh, there's a water ghost. A water ghost is coming. Yeah. And I was prepared. And then she appeared and I screamed like a banshee. Uh, oh, but the most, well, I guess this is a spoiler if you're going to watch Daybok Realty. But, like, <laughs> a dude just got hit by a dump truck. That and was a lot. We did not see that coming, and I think we screamed so loud we scared my outside cat, who kind of oh like jumped God. in the window and was like, "Oh, I just called him my outside cat, Corinne. Did you hear that? Yeah, he's that's not my cat, cat now. No, he's not my cat. He's, he's, he he's belongs, to the cat now. He belongs to the street. <laughs> he belongs to the street. <laughs> <laughs> but he jumped in the window and was like man are you guys okay? Are you all right?' Because we like screamed so loud about that dump truck. But yeah. I'm
0: ready for ghost I'm not ready for people to get hit by moving vehicles. <laughs> Yeah. It's a different stake situation. What what
2: streaming platform is this on? Ah, hmm.
0: uh, I've been watching it on Vicky. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, they Vicky works largely pretty well. Uh, I'm not sure if that's when you have to have a subscription to it for mm-hmm. or not, but they have some that are free with annoying commercials. But
1: cool.
2: That sounds it. I I will be looking that up after after this record.
1: It's a delight. (laughs) Highly recommend. (laughs) I want to hear what your reaction is to the dump truck when it appears. Oh yeah, please. I'll be on. I'll
2: be on the lookout for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ayani, what is sparking joy for you? So I had just started watching Castlevania a couple days ago, uh, and I am now in season three, which lets you know how that's been going. It's so gory, and I insist on watching it only when I eat. Apparently, so I'm like, mm, I'm gonna have some cereal and watch these like guts fall out on the floor. Um, but I've been enjoying it a lot. I'm a little obsessed with Alucard. I have to admit, like that is a character trope that I think I have been deeply in love with since I was a twelve year old watching Digimon as a child. Mm. But like the broody blonde <laughs> character with emotional yeah. issues—oh my god, <laughs> that like strikes to the core of everything I love. Apparently. But it's really good. I'm enjoying it. My brother has said that the ending was trash. Um, So we'll see how that goes. But other people have said that season four is really good. So I don't know. Watching some monsters be brutally beaten up and hot people walking around. That's like sparking joy in my life right now. I (laughs) want Corinna to watch it, but she's not going to do gore. so Mm, Challenging, yeah. (laughs) But yeah. All right. Let's keep moving around the square. Sophie, what's sparking joy for you? Okay, so Franny stole mine in the
3: dock. I was going to say Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because that's the only thing Franny and I both watch. Like, all we do is watch that show. Truly, that is all I do. Like, if if I was a sim, like, the software would warn you that I was doing too much of the same thing, which was, like, (laughs) watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Like, it truly is, like... At the same time, both, like, mind-numbing, but, like, also a celebration of, like, your mind in a lot of ways. Like, it it does require critical thinking skills in some parts because you're like, wait, who's in the wrong And like, the the (laughs) drama over, like, going to the wrong restaurant? Um, But I'll let Franny explicate more on that. I have been – so my boyfriend and I are about to do a cross-state move. um, Mm Oh. And – so we're starting the process of like packing, and we're basically um we like can't really afford to get a U-Haul for a cross-state move because they're super expensive.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so we're packing everything into like a van instead. And so we're getting rid of most of our furniture. Um, so I've been shopping for vintage furniture online, Ooh. which is like truly the best way to kill however many hours you need. Is like <laughs> vintage Moroccan rugs on Etsy and just scrolling 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 and so I already have purchased multiple rugs (laughs) I am looking for a couch right now and it's like it feels like a project like you're doing work like it feels productive because you're like well I need a place to sit Uh you know mm -hmm, what I mean like mm -hmm. I need a place to sit so like obviously I have to buy a couch so like me looking at these couches I'm actually like this is an incredibly like worthwhile pursuit like I'm not laying in bed on my bed desk like with my head down watching real housewives of beverly hills and endlessly scrolling i'm searching for a couch (laughs) like that's something that like a productive young woman does Mm -hmm. so you know uh furniture shopping i'd recommend it get rid
1: of all your furniture and buy (laughs) you know weird stuff from etsy so i have to ask because my spouse really wants to get a new couch and he's been saying constantly i hate our couch i hate our couch and like a little shade to a friend of mine who i adore but like i want to say the first week we had the couch she so sat down really hard on it and cracked it <gasps> so we so our couch has been cracked for like the last five or six years if you sit in this one spot it makes this really sad sound
0: <laughs> so oh like, that's what that is yeah
1: that's what that <laughs> is yeah <laughs> um, wow so where are you looking at
0: couches? That's a really boring um, question. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> so the best thing to do is to find, like, Instagram accounts for, like, if you want to buy a vintage couch, like mm-hmm. we do, because, you know, we don't want to, we feel bad getting rid of a bunch of our furniture, even though, like, people have already bought it from us and stuff. And most of it is going to, like, the person moving into our apartment after us. Mm, okay. Um, But we we're like, we don't want to buy, like, new stuff, right? Because, like, you know waste the environment, etc. So I would recommend finding like Instagram accounts for vintage stores, wherever you're located, mm. and then kind of going from there. So like that you kind of get in the know about like, where do they buy their stuff? Like, how do they kind of source things? What other accounts do they follow that maybe like, do more what you're looking for? Like, you know, because some vintage stores, it's like, maybe it's it's 100 lamps and like three couches. and oh, It's like, well, I don't really need a lamp. I need a couch. So like, what other couch accounts do you follow and you, it's like it's a very you know it's a web of like if i had it plotted out on my wall it would be like that crazy meme from yeah. it's always sunny like this sounds, it's, a, it's
1: a tangled situation it sounds like a deep hole that i'm a little afraid to go down but also <laughs> very intrigued by when you were like yeah. what couch ac-? i'm like couch accounts yeah there are couch accounts." well now i have to look up what this is so yeah
3: yeah it's you know it's a worthy pursuit I w- i definitely would say
1: You've heard it here first, y'all. This is how to find a vintage couch (laughs) through the Instagrams. (laughs) And last but not least, Franny, what's sparking joy for you? So
2: Sophie Sophie spoiled it, but yes, I am going to say Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, I just, I think what is sparking joy about it to me, and it's like similarly to like, you know, I never watched any of the Trump SNL sketches when he was in office, um, but I let myself, once he was out of office, watch the terrible, terrible Hotline Bling sketch that he was in. I was like, oh, this is bad, but I can laugh at this a little bit now, right? (laughs) And similarly with the Housewives... Uh what is morbidly sparking joy for me is the fact that they are acting as if COVID doesn't exist. Uh only like oh, COVID God. only exists aesthetically, like in like their mask <laughs> choices. And yes, it was filmed in October of twenty twenty. So probably, you know, at the height of, of everything bad happening.
3: Especially in LA. Like yeah, LA was in, like yeah. the epicenter of world COVID oh, in twenty twenty.
2: Yeah. So you know, that being said about them, um, kathy hilton's on the show now mother of paris hilton sister of kyle richards they're in tahoe right now in the episode that i just watched and she stays up until 2 a.m drinking a red bull and reading newspapers <laughs> um that's at, you a know, bitch after my own heart right exactly and then she sleeps until 12 and all the other women go on like it, it's like a I don't know it's like a car that like they kind of bike along a railroad track. Like it's they're like on this little roller coaster of their own making. It looked fun, I don't know if it is, but they come back and Kathy's like, Oh, I put I thought I was putting eye drops in, but I actually put eardrops in my eye. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it feels like glue. So <laughs> that is what that's kind of the, the characters and, and types of um Watching these types of people on TV uh, is what is sparking joy for me right now. That's
3: so me on vacation is like missing the main activity and then like self-manufacturing an illness. Right <laughs> like, while everyone's gone. Being like, You guys had fun skiing, I'm sick, someone has to take me to the hospital. <laughs> like I accidentally ate like the toilet bowl cleaners. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was
2: <laughs> syrup for my tea.
1: <laughs> that's so bad Ugh! It, just thinking about eating a toilet bowl cleaner now i'm like that's not an image i thought i needed but no. okay i'm sorry. Okay. I'm gonna go with that you one know what i'll say bit. here's what i'll
2: say is that there is that one toilet bowl cleaner whatever the clorox brand is that does smell like mint and it does smell pretty good so if i'm gonna eat i would rather eat that than windex you know just dis- <laughs> let's disregard like the health implications i'm just saying why that are you that the- windex like, into it it's a bathroom cleaner right <laughs> Have you never cleaned a bathroom? Yeah, it, it, you clean the mirror in the bathroom with Windex. I think it. But it's Sophie, not a I bathroom think it counts.
3: Cleaner. Uh, I would. I would beg to
2: differ. I
1: mean, there is multi-purpose Windex. I'm. Yeah. You know, for many. reasons. use it on the shower
3: drawer. As a Greek person and a person who is obsessed <laughs> with cleaning their bathroom, I take offense to like Windex being brought into the conversation. Okay,
1: that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Like, this is just harmful. Like. Sorry, this should be a safe space. We won't talk about Windex anymore. <laughs> we'll stop. We'll stop. But that actually seems like a good segue, or not? It might be a terrible segue, but I'm gonna write it anyway. This is the segue we're gonna write into to red, white, and royal blue. What are our initial reactions before we we introduce the text to be a little a little teachery, right? What are your mm-hmm. initial thoughts about the text <laughs> that we
3: have read for today? Um, I would say uh, so. I did myself a disservice because I had a lot of, you know, moving related chores to do mm-hmm. um, in the last couple weeks, uh, which is that I listened to this book on audio oh. and something that a lot of like, a, I brought this up to Franny last night, a disease that a lot of like new audio books have is that for some reason, like the voice actors reading the book, like really feel the need to do voices for different characters oh. based on like their ethnic identity. Oh no. Yeah.
1: Oh no. Yeah. And it's
3: like something that has been popping up in things I've listened on audio recently where I'm like, "Wait, like this isn't the 90s. Like we are not like this is not okay. Like what is going on? Like what are you being directed to do?" So that that was distracting for me. But other than that, like I, I don't know. I really it was a lot of fun. It felt like the you know all of the it was published in 2019, so mm-hmm. all of the the you know cultural references and the way that the characters talk feels very current. I strongly disliked the main character Alex. Mm,
1: ditto, I second that. Like,
3: couldn't stand him. If you if I was in a room with him, I would be like if I had one drink, I would be, like, screaming at this man, truly. Like, they would be like, who's that dumb bitch screaming at the son of the president? Like, she's crazy, get her out of here. Like, the Secret Service would have to come to my apartment again and talk to me. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, I don't know. So that was the main thing, is I was distracted by the, the like, odd choices in voice acting, and then also the, how much I disliked the,
1: the main character. I'm, I'm going to jump in really quickly. I second that, like... I didn't know if it was just me, but he felt, and we'll talk more about him, but he felt a little pretentious to me. I was like, how old are you? You're like (laughs) going to talk to me like this. I know he wasn't talking to me. I'm not in a book, but like, (laughs) it just felt like he was real. "Hmm, I don't know. I wouldn't like him if we were interacting in person because- I have a thing about people who like to show you how smart they are, and which is really yeah. a fun thing when you're in a PhD program, right, around <laughs> right, a bunch of people yeah. <laughs> who really want to show you how smart they are. But it's just – he just really, to use a really oldie-timey expression, he really ground my gears. Like, yeah. he just he just got on my nerves. Um, I did like how snippily it was written, though. It was kind yes. of a snappy text, which was yeah. a yeah. lot of fun to kind of work my way through. So, like – some of my highlighting were just lines that I thought were really good lines rather than times where I'm like, like, Alex, just be quiet for five minutes.
4: Right. So yeah. I have
1: this kind of weird dual feeling about the book that it was like fun to read, but then there were things yeah. about it that I just didn't necessarily gel with. So,
2: yeah, I I think that's, that's kind of a good way to put it. Um, I was telling Sophie before, before you two hopped on that I, um, this book did make me cry, but I also, mm-hmm, like, think mm-hmm. that it needs to kind of exist in a vacuum for me to derive any real pleasure from it. Being that, you know, Sophie kind of brought up, there's, like, she, she texts to me, she's like, is this kind of just, like, an imperialist, like, fan fiction? And I'm like, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it w- it was odd to read about, especially, like, because I know that the authors started writing this in 2016.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
2: like, I think a lot has changed in the way and I know that I just said that I watched the Trump SNL sketch but like in the way that we're consuming kind of the personalities of of political figures I think Mm, a lot of mm -hmm. us have become more savvy in that maybe and like I'm trying to think of like political shows that like I watch well I, I have been watching Tyler Perry's The Oval which is his show of course about about the first family but I would say that that the the ideas of that show are very far removed from like policy <laughs> reality yeah, yeah reality um, yeah um there's a lot of like people jumping out of moving cars and cults and stuff and like this is probably not taking place <laughs> in 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 dc right now I, I would recommend it it's it's honestly like it, it is a it is a fun escape because it is very fast moving like there's always going to be something going on there so um <laughs> but you know like the other uh political show that i watched a lot of um you know, was Veep, and Mm. Veep was interesting, and I felt like the the author of this maybe, like, watched Veep and was like, Mm -hmm, I think I mm -hmm." I need to curse as much as they do, because every character cursed in this. Like, truly, like, (laughs) other than her royal majesty, the queen, every character. (laughs) I was like, I was like, and Sophie, I mean, this wouldn't happen in my house, but maybe in, in someone like Sophie's household. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the mom was, the president, the mom was cursing so much. Dude, um, wouldn't
3: you if you were like responsible for like healthcare and like the army? Right, like, yeah, true.
2: Um, But yeah, so it, it did make me cry because of some of the like, you know, gay relationship stuff. Mm. But yeah, there was a lot that that I, I thought was... it it did kind of feel like a Hamilton fan fiction come to life.
3: I just, like, I, the the premise I will never be able to get behind is feeling sympathy for the royal family. Like, Mm. I I really, like, I can, on a personal level, I'm, like, the emotional things that you've been put through and what you've been deprived of, like, as a human being in your, like, literal development as, Mm -hmm. like, an emotional creature, like, I get it, but also at the same, it's, like, I can't do a whole scene where he's, like, it was so hard being the prince because everybody knew my name and I didn't want them to. And I'm like, dude, I pay like $300 a month just for my prescriptions. Like, can we get to that part, please? (laughs) Like, I'm not, like, I'm not here for it right Mm now. mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard. I'm like, this is why we don't have healthcare because, like, the president has to do a presentation for her son about, like, why it's unethical for him to fuck the literal crown prince of England. like... (laughs) like, this is what they're doing over there. The truth comes out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I definitely agree and ride with all y'all's critiques, but I will say as a person who is from Texas, the sort of political fantasy of what Texas, I don't know, could be like if it ever did go Mm -hmm. blue really Mm -hmm. like hit me in a way I was not expecting as someone who has not lived in Texas for 10 years. Like I've been gone, but like that fantasy and like that sort of, dream was still there and i don't Mm. think that would have hit so hard for me if it didn't have convincing details about what texas is like and Mm. things that someone who grew up in texas would know or would like Mm. so i don't maybe maybe what i'm saying is almost in the way of of a fantasy novel the world building i think was really important for Mm. how things landed and in some ways that was maybe not effective but at least for me the texas stuff was very effective yeah yeah
3: yeah, that's I. I. I mean, obviously, I'm not. I'm not from Texas, but I also felt similarly to like because the main character Alex, he spends so much time going through that Texas binder and thinking mm-hmm, about like mm-hmm. how you know like the demographic changes and like the way that people think in Texas. And I also found that to be like that was a really good point in which the novel was really specific. Mm-hmm. Um, that served it really well at being like okay, it made the characters feel more grounded because at times. The characters, especially like the arguably like the three main characters who weren't the prince, like the Alex, his sister June, and um, the granddaughter of the vice president Nora, mm-hmm. they just felt inaccessible to me mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, what are these people like? They just like hang out in the White House and banter with one another and you know, ostensibly like do jobs, but like, what is really grounding them like within this story Mm. was like at certain times kind of inaccessible to me
0: so before we get too deep into our analysis perhaps we should give a
1: summary of the book for people who have not read Mm -hmm. it we don't have to do that who needs that (laughs) uh red white and royal blue is a 2019 queer romance novel by casey mcquiston is that right mcquiston you added an n mcquiston see i can never do it mcquiston And the book was a New York Times bestseller and an award winner. It won the 2020 Alex Award and the 2019 Goodreads Choice Award, both for Best Romance and for Best Debut. So this is a book that it seems like a lot of people are reading and enjoying. Uh, Corinne mentioned yesterday that she's like, as we very timidly go and sit at outside coffee shops to try to get work done, is seeing people reading the book. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Um, So even kind of, I guess, where a year and a half, two years removed now from publication, it's still something that's making rounds and that people are interested in picking up. Um, So kind of a popular text, even though some people in this podcast chat are not Necessarily the wildest about it. Um, Kryn, you want to take the description? Yeah, so this is from Goodreads. uh, And
0: all right, the summary. First son, Alex Claremont Diaz, is the closest thing to a prince this side of the Atlantic. With his intrepid sister and the Veeps genius granddaughter, they're Mm. the White House trio, a beautiful millennial marketing strategy for his mother, (laughs) President (laughs) Ellen Claremont. International socialite duties do have downsides, namely when photos of a confrontation with his longtime nemesis, Prince Henry, at a royal wedding leak to the tabloids and threaten American-British relations. The plan for damage control, staging a fake friendship between the first son and the prince. As President Claremont kicks off her re-election bid, Alex finds himself hurtling into a secret relationship with Henry that could derail the campaign and upend two nations— what is worth the sacrifice? How do you do all the good you can do? And most importantly, how will history
2: remember you? <laughs> who, who lives, who dies, who tells your story? The story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: It truly, it's like, oh, just God. say Hamilton. Just say it. Like, we all know we're thinking it. Like, just say it. But, you know, it's yeah, none of my business. Um,
1: <laughs> so,
3: Franny and I can do the characters. Or do you want to, sorry, were you?
1: No, I was just going to say real quick before we dive into the characters. I got to say, as an elder millennial what do they call us geriatric millennials right so
0: as
1: as That's the- you not me don't oh, put that okay. on me oh all right but as the ancient one on the call like the fact that these 21 year olds are like the beautiful millennial marketing strategy i'm like yo we can't buy houses <laughs> like, right. Right. they've been yelling at us about avocado toast for years but you want me to like sit with the it's fine it's fine this is just right. me griping and being angry but yes y'all please characters
2: um sophie i'll just go ahead i'll do i'll do a through e and you want to take f through k i can
3: take f F through k
2: okay so we got um our two main love interests so alex claremont diaz who is the first son of the united states and his love interest henry fox mount kristen windsor <laughs> <laughs> is a british prince and he's third in line to the throne of england June Claremont-Diaz is the first daughter of the United States and Alex's older sister. And then Ellen Claremont is their mother. And she's the first female president of the United States. In this universe, she directly seceded Obama. And Mm. she's a Democrat from Texas. Uh, And then Zara Bankston is the deputy chief of staff for Ellen Claremont.
3: Yeah, so Nora Holloran is also like one of the main characters. She Mm -hmm. is a former lover of Alex and also the granddaughter of the vice president. And now they're, you know, her, Alex, and June are best friends and they make up what in the universe is the beautiful millennial marketing strategy of the White House trio. (laughs) I don't know what they're selling. Like, uh, rainbow capitalism? I don't know. That's what I was
2: interested in because I was like, you know, with the Obamas, like, I'm, I'm trying, I feel like when the only, like, son or daughter or someone related to a president that I could think of in recent years who, like, I was like, oh, they could be used as a marketing strategy is Kamala Harris's bisexual stepdaughter. But that's, that's Mm. it. But I'm like, I don't think that, like, we as a nation are, like, think of, have thought of very many of, like, children or or close relatives of the presidents as, like, I don't know, like, fashion icons, which is I kind of like the vibe that they're giving us here. I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong, but I, you know.
0: I mean, I don't think you're wrong, but I also think thinking about recent history, which is unpleasant, the way that yeah. they tried to use like Ivanka, I think. Oh mm, yeah, might apply. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, and I did just forget about her. I was like, yeah, I was like children. <laughs> <laughs> children are people under twenty, and so I forgot right. about, <laughs> about Ivanka. Yeah,
3: um, that's a good point. So Percy, whose name is also uh, – his nickname is Pez, is the best friend of Prince Henry. He's, like, a billionaire and, like, the founder and proprietor of many, like, charities and nonprofit organizations. I, We'll get into, like, mm-hmm. the function, I think, that charity plays in this book. Mm-hmm. It's very – to me, I'm like, what is happening here? Is Where are they hiding the money type thing? <laughs> um, and then Beatrice – has the same last name as her brother prince henry i'm not gonna say it because it's it's, it's long and it's you know just a it's very british um she's the younger sister of prince philip who's like the first in line for the throne and she's the older sister of prince henry um, She is sober, I believe, because she had some mm-hmm, struggles mm-hmm. in her past with um, substance abuse, which kind of informs Henry's relationship to the monarchy because he went through this very traumatic experience of like mm-hmm. seeing the way that that was dealt with. And like for her to get the help she needed, it was like very kind of traumatic for everybody involved. Oscar Diaz is a senator from California, and he's the father of Alex and June Claremont Diaz and the ex-husband of the president, Ellen Claremont. Uh, Rafael Luna is a young independent senator from Colorado. He's Latino and openly gay. So Alex really looks up to him um, as he's worked for him before. And he also, you know, sees this model of like a queer person who is confident Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yet still doing the kind of work that Alex eventually wants to do. And then he's later disappointed by that relationship, as we are in our lives with every relationship. Um, (laughs) And then the last character that we have here is Sean Srivastava, who is the the equerry to Prince Henry. And him and Zara, like, fall in love. So congratulations to the two of them. Which, and,
2: and perhaps I just skimmed over this. But for some reason, I thought that they said that Sean was gay. Did anyone else read that? Or was that just No, they said Mm -hmm.
3: that Sean was the only person who knew that Henry was gay. (laughs)
2: Because Mm -hmm. then I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, what happened? (laughs) Okay, that makes sense.
1: (laughs) So we all kind of have our divided feelings about the book, right? So something that Corinne and I often like to think about is who this book is for, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Of course, it's being marketed as YA, but like, Who I don't think I don't know if it's being marketed as YA YA. or not. No, it's it's being
0: marketed as like a new adult-ish romance book, but it also has like young adult vibes. Like my Mm. college student book club was very into this book, and are some Mm. of the people who recommended it to me. So I think particularly Mm -hmm. the college student age crowd who also love to read YA are the people this book is kind of like aiming to hit.
1: Okay. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense, because, like, the book made me feel really old in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like, I normally don't have that kind of visceral, you're ancient reaction when I'm reading YA, but just, like, something about this book seemed very, I don't know, like, it was setting itself very outside of my realm of experience in a way, and my realm of interest in a way that I wasn't expecting. So, Mm -hmm. like... Yeah. Do you guys have the same reaction? Or is it like, you know, oh, this is definitely for kind of like college age folks who love Hamilton. Like where where was y'all's heads at with that?
3: Yeah, I think, I think New Adult. I think it falls pretty strongly in this range. I could see myself really reading and enjoying this book at about like 15, 16. Mm-hmm. As you're starting mm-hmm. to di- be like, okay, mm-hmm. YA is not for me anymore. I'm not getting what i used to get out of this i'm gonna start looking through my mom's bookshelf like this is kind of where at least the genre and the way that it's written like this is where i landed at about that age
2: yeah i think um that it i i was surprised when the characters were as old as they were Mm -hmm. Uh, because in my mind and like seeing the cover it does look very like Older YA, so like mm-hmm, I would think mm-hmm. like sixteen to eighteen. But I do think you know, even if it wasn't marketed, it, even if it was marketed as new adult, I do think that there's a fair bit, like Sophie said, of YA readers. Like once you kind of hit fifteen, that that are probably reading this. So I, do, I it like read it read very much like a YA uh, book to me. But mm. I guess just because of the age of the characters, I was like, well, maybe mm. it's it's marketed at at uh, slightly older folk than
0: that. Well, I wonder if they were trying to like. And I mean, maybe they've succeeded, I don't know, to like hit both the sort of like older teenage and adult reader audience, Mm -hmm. because I Mm -hmm. remember when this book came out, I'm like a little bit plugged into Romance Twitter, and people were very into it then, like a year ago. And I think also just, by the way, Casey McQuiston also just had another book come out a few days ago called One Last Stop, and Mm -hmm. that seems Mm -hmm. to be getting the same kind of buzz, I think. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really, as a romance novel, like this book knocks it out of the park. Like, the way the romance is constructed, like, Mm -hmm. the... Um, you know the cla- you have your classic trope we all love it enemies to lovers it's like i like when they fall into at the beginning they they get into a little tussle and they fall into a 75 thousand dollar cake i'm like give me this like give me this for <laughs> 500 more pages i'm like i'm ready for it i love it like i love a 75 thousand dollar cake i love mm-hmm. it getting destroyed i love like <laughs> them being like i hate you uh, like it's just incredible and the, like uh, that's why i was so disappointed that i could not jive with the main character alex mm-hmm. because Because I was like i like really dig the way this romance is happening it's sexy like mm-hmm, there's a lot mm-hmm. of really great really fun like original sex scenes in this book where you're like this is like really fun really cool great idea they're in like they're at wimbledon having sex right. like, <laughs> like, like talk about top five fantasies i didn't know i had like <laughs> one is go to wimbledon 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 they're not they're not gonna let me in i don't even know how to say. Like, yeah um, you're
2: failing that
3: test right off the bat yeah. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 no. You've been on unemployment before. You're not coming to Wimbledon. <laughs> like. Yeah, so... That's why it was like bother. Like I'm like if this motherfucker Alex was talking to me like this, like I would not have sex with him. Like he's nope. being rude. <laughs> like, yeah, he
2: he is very rude. I think I had maybe a little more sympathy for him because I know that a big part of my like bisexual awakening was like I was like oh I hate this girl. She's so pretty. Like like <laughs> that was and then it was like you know like cut to like seven years later. I'm like oh I guess that's what what you would call a crush. Like it, it so it was a lot of like jealousy and being like ugh. She's so whatever. And then later I was like, hmm. So, but however, I don't think I would talk to any of those people to their face like that. (laughs) I would be like, you smug bastard, like...
3: (laughs) Suck my dick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I also, like, I don't know. I just... Maybe it was, like, just the fact that this, like, well, okay, so the queer awakening that Alex has, mm-hmm. like, I think is very relatable, where he is like, wait, I don't like men. When um, Henry first kisses him, he's mm-hmm. like, wait, this doesn't happen. Like, I don't like men. I'm with women. And then later on, he, you know, is like, well, like, you know, in high like, he keeps referencing his friend Liam from high school. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't talk to my closest friend from high school anymore. And like, there's little kernels of that sprinkled out through the really early parts of the Mm -hmm, book and mm then it's like you find out that he was having sexual experiences with Liam in high school that he didn't consider to be sexual. It was like, yeah, like a normal, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this is a normal thing that friends do, right? Like, and that I found, I found to be very relatable where it's like, well, it's actually people, you know, straight people kiss their friends all the time and like straight people do, you know, either like, full frontal sexual things or, like, you know, have sexual experiences near one another all the time and that's normal. Or not normal, but that's heterosexual. Like, mm-hmm. and that, to me, like, I feel like any queer person could recognize that and be like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> that makes sense, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So that part, of, and then also the fact that that friendship was then kind of broken mm, because of mm-hmm, the different mm-hmm. expectations of what that relationship was, for each person, like mm-hmm. I don't know, I definitely have some of those. So, like,
1: <laughs> so it sounds like, and not to read into anything that y'all are saying, but it's kind of sounding like that the romance worked for y'all. Mm-hmm. Like the fact mm-hmm. how Alex and Henry got together, the way that their relationship developed, like that worked. It's just Alex that might have not necessarily worked the best. I think yeah.
2: the one thing, and and excuse me if I'm jumping the gun on talking no, go about ahead. this, um, is is just that. One thing that I guess like gave me pause and like what was that I found a lot of the parts around the sex scenes to be like very explicit in either language, like the use of like dicking down is like used <laughs> quite a bit, very 2019. Um, or like you know, there's a lot of cursing, but then the sex scenes themselves I found to be like kind mm. of like vague and like unreferencing, yes. like there's never like and. Like there's never something that's like oh like he put his pe- like the word penis is never used right. or like mm-hmm. it's always like like kind of moving around the idea of like a blowjob or you know like anal sex and and I found that that just I guess like annoyed me a little bit because I was like I feel like if you're gonna go for a a queer romance like go for it you know and that's that's what kind of made this seem somehow some uh, well I don't know. It, it did seem very fan fiction to me in kind of in that way, I guess that, that I, I wish that the author would have been a little more specific with that.
3: I don't know. Fan fiction to me would be dirtier. Like yeah, fan fiction true. would be like yeah. fan fiction. We would know exactly what was happening mm-hmm. at every time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing maybe, and like, I also could be, could be making this up, but to me it felt like, this is so crazy that I'm getting into this, but basically it felt like the blowjob scenes were very explicit whereas the scenes in which they were having anal sex were very vague and like it was like there was kind of a there was a a a, like they were being a little bit precious about the anal Mm -hmm. where like (laughs) i feel like with
2: the blowjob though they would never be like oh he came like yeah (laughs) it's not like they would never use the word come i would be like did they did they both come like what happened i don't know i may be nitpicking here but It's like, if you're going to get me hot and heavy with the use of the term dicking down, like, let's let's go all the way. Come on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always very interesting with YA or YA adjacent text how concerned they are about being didactic Mm -hmm. and how concerned about being, like, too how-to or too clear about how to do something, but also at the same time being like... But make sure you use a condom, <laughs> right?
2: Exactly. Make sure yeah. you use your travel-sized bottle of lube. <laughs> yeah, that it was is so. Do you think that that's like also like? I wonder if this was something. I don't know what imprint this was uh, published on or or who published it, but I wonder if that was a note like to like appeal to more readers. We have to tone down the actual logistics of the of the gay sex scenes. I I mean, I wonder if that's a function of of them being gay Mm -hmm. because i feel like and uh, you know we mentioned that we're going to talk about prep next week which you know i guess probably came out in like early 2000s but 2005 that that book is very 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 explicit with its sex scenes including giving uh, the reader basically instructions on on how to give a blowjob with with a thing of ice cream and then looking for alaska like i wonder if it's a function of them being two men that i wonder if that got like cut in edits at all i don't know that's speculation i mean that's
1: that's a good question oh sorry go ahead no really quickly just the publisher is saint martin's griffin
2: Hmm, i've never heard of that
1: yeah i don't it's in new york so but saint martin's press is the press oh it's under Macmillan. it's part of Macmillan. oh Oh, okay Okay, gotcha so but like thinking about what they might
0: have cut worrying about censorship or even just like self-censorship unofficially Mm -hmm. like I don't know. I feel like if it's it's a gay love story, like it's already going to be censored by people who are opposed to that. Anyway, right. but also at the same time a lot of like gay YA or YA-ish texts focus a lot more on identity than actually characters getting to have sex. So Mm -hmm. mm I don't know, maybe it's like a baby steps kind of situation. Yeah, totally. That's fair. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I just want, you know, when it's like two guys, you spend the whole book telling me how hot these two dudes are. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. let me see it. You know, like,
1: (laughs) take me to the damn
3: movies. Like, prove it. Prove that they're hot.
1: (laughs) It's funny, too, because I feel like there was a lot of focus on kind of depicting their bodies if it makes sense without telling us exactly what the bodies were doing like one of Mm. the things that i recall very distinctly are the little ridges of henry's backbones sticking up under his skin which i'm like
2: soft if you touch (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, yes
1: (laughs) so there are these he's very thin i'm guessing if he's sticking up like that but like there are these moments where there's like loving care, paid attention to how the body is described. But then, as you were saying, Franny, in those, like, sex scenes, we don't go all the way. We no. just kind of get, like, there's some thighs, which I like. I right. like that. So, like, there's some mm. thighs and then some hands go here, but then we don't. There's not that same kind of right loving care and attention to describing the body, I think.
2: I, I think the closest thing that we actually got, and this is interesting because... The closest thing that we got to like them actually describing like oh like mouth on penis or whatever was the Liam the Liam sex scene when yes. it was like oh they were watching porn and like he leaned leaned over and started jerking him off like and th- I'm like that's interesting that's so because hot. that that is <laughs> yeah, so fucking out that was a relationship <laughs> that was used as not romantic it was just sexual mm-hmm, and I'm so mm-hmm. I'm like that's interesting that that was allowed to be characterized as like sexual but like when they're you know together in a romantic context uh the author doesn't want
3: to go there Mm. interesting yeah i don't know but uh, like i have it in here and i feel like this is a natural move where somebody wants to you guys have it in here that we want to talk about the emails and i feel like Mm -hmm. the emails are a good are a good jumping off point here because like the emails are where we get i would say like the most characterization of Mm, the romance mm -hmm, like they Mm -hmm. feel very comfortable talking to one another over email and over the phone rather than like face to face like a lot of in the Mm -hmm. the first times they meet and engage in sex like there's not a lot of talk about like you know hopes desires dreams backgrounds parents Mm -hmm. etc it's mostly just sex but then all of the talk about the personal life comes from the emails. First of all, the emails are what turned me off from Alex because he brought in this whole thing like, have you heard of Alexander Hamilton? I love him. You should read you should read this book about him. Yeah, that, um, that
2: makes it seem like that like people aren't commonly aware of Alexander Hamilton, which obviously like in 2016 they would be.
3: It's like you would have to I wish I wasn't aware of Alexander Hamilton. Like I wish I knew less about Alexander Hamilton.
2: And then they're like, but, he's gay, actually. I thought that was yeah. interesting, too. Or bisexual, maybe, but...
3: <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Like, it was just... it Like, first of all, I didn't like the... I don't like when you are listening to... I, this is my specific complaint with the audiobook, so I apologize for everybody who didn't engage in the audiobook. When you're listening to an audiobook and they describe either text conversations or email conversations they have to demarcate who is talking and it's Mm -hmm. always very awkward because it's not physically in front of you right so there's like i guess um alex puts henry's name in his phone as like his Royal Highness poop emoji. Yes. <laughs> and His so the Royal amount Highness of, dickhead poop yep. emoji. <laughs> yes, excuse me. The amount of times I had to hear this poor voice actor say poop emoji was like, <laughs> I like just at a certain point shorten it. Like, just say His Royal Highness, like, stop saying poop emoji. Like, I'm an adult. I'm trying to clean my storage unit right now. You know what I mean? But yeah, I thought the emails, like, I thought they did a really good job of showing us what these two had in common that mm-hmm. we didn't get necessarily mm-hmm. when they were in person.
2: Yeah. I, the emails are interesting too, because, you know, and, and I think a lot of us wrote about this in, in the notes, but like the idea that, so the, uh, the political family in this is, is a Democrat in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. in, we never really get like a good read on, you know, cause it's a symbolic, whatever in, in the UK, but Henry seems to be at least somewhat, like, liberal. Mm -hmm. And so throughout the book, there's, like, some, like, they kind of, like, trade barbs about, like, well, uh, your country, like, you know, was racist in this way, or, you know, your country was classist in this way. Mm -hmm. And in a way that feels, number one, very disconnected. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't really Mm -hmm. want my politicians joking about this, because guess what? You could change some of this materially for many people. And second of all, like it makes me think that the author was like very into Hillary because of the whole Mm. email thing, because it's like, actually these leaked emails were good. Um, And, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, we, we've read, we read Rodham, the Curtis Sittenfeld Hillary. (laughs) (laughs) What if Hillary didn't marry? But yeah. But, and you know what? So, and we have our fair share to say about that, but like it does seem like written by someone who maybe like is engaging in politics in a way that I I can no longer do as someone yeah. who lived through, yeah. you know, 2016 onward,
1: if that makes sense. Oh, that makes complete and total sense. Like, after I finished the book, I was texting Corinne about just, I don't know, a weird sense of, not like full-blown depression, but like I was sad after mm-hmm. reading it because I was like, this isn't what happened. We had four years of Trump. We had an insurrection, right. you know. Um, her emails were a big deal, you know. Right, so yeah. it's just like – especially like as a person of color like mm-hmm. i don't know a lot of it felt like that kind of political wish fulfillment just i guess the one we were saying it is it's like too far away but also too close because yes. you know i wish you know if the first child came out there would be a big happy wonderful celebration on the lawn for them but also, we're now getting ready to be concerned that Roe v. Wade might be rolled back in right. particular yeah. ways and like in real life. Yeah. So it was just like this disconnect for me between the kind of political landscape that was being set up in the book mm-hmm. and the actual lived experiences that we have. Like, to, to get yeah. really real for a second, right? But yeah. then- No.
3: I mean, that's the conversation this book is having. Like, I I read the... The L.A. Review of Books review and the au- the author of this review literally said the f- the romance like the fantasy of the romance in this novel is great, but you know what's mm-hmm. even better? Picturing a world where Donald J. Trump does not exist, and it's like, but he does, he does. and mm-hmm. like yeah. people's lives are in danger because of that. Yeah, so, like I and, don't and it,
2: know, and it's also like you know, obviously, like politicians are our families and and. And they, uh, you know, they're individuals as well. But, like, yeah, like, at a certain point, like, I'm not interested in Ellen Claremont as a character because I'm like, you should do your job.
4: <laughs> and, like, I don't know, like, and I get it, but there's
2: there's a lot of talking around policy issues. And, you know, um, one thing that interested me is that, that there's a character who's very briefly mentioned who's an independent in, sen- in uh, the Senate Who's a Vermont senator, right? And I was like, okay, so this mm-hmm, is supposed to be mm-hmm. a Bernie equivalent. And it was like, well, we don't know if we can get him. Like, he could go on either side of the line. And I was like, this to me feels like a misunderstanding of kind of the current landscape of American politics, mm. where it's no longer like Democrats are good and Republicans are bad. Like, it's like, well, pretty much everybody is bad to a certain extent. Like, <laughs> okay. it, it feels very like it, it's almost like I'm like, well, this could appeal to like a never Trump Republican because. It it kind of, I feel, operates maybe in the worldview that, like, well, Donald Trump was an anon- anomaly versus, like, mm. no, this is what, you know, centuries of, of our governmental system and, and like, our uh, bigotry as a country has led us to, you know.
0: It also kind of felt to me like the sort of dialogue quips and, like, otherwise, the dialogue, I think, is very sharp, but, like, <laughs> about it being, like, a, a both America and Great Britain being genocidal empires, it felt mm-hmm. like the kind of thing that was in there to sort of, <laughs> like, soothe people's nerves who might otherwise Mm -hmm. be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with like romanticizing the royal family
4: Mm -hmm.
0: again still Mm -hmm. and so uh, just enough in there to like maybe make people be like okay yeah this jives enough with my politics that i can then settle into this romance that makes the royal family seem appealing still or in some way yeah Mm -hmm. right yeah wow yeah that's a great point where it's like thing like
3: that where you're like there was a quip at one point about like who was more imperialist like Mm -hmm, Alex's mm -hmm. family or Henry's family and I'm like this is not like truly if these emails leaked and I saw this I would be like this is like that is unforgivable like that it would be the thing to me where it's like hold on like no you don't get to joke about that like Mm -hmm. other people can joke Mm -hmm. about that but you sitting in your place of comfort and Alex being, like, like his main thing is, you know, like, obviously this decision is, like, whether or not to come out publicly as queer, which is a huge decision, especially as a public figure, opening yourself up to that kind of mm-hmm. ridicule and hate from people mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. lob those kinds of things. That's a huge decision. But also, like, you know, he's thinking about how it's going to affect his career. Like, he wants to be a career politician. It's like, so don't joke about, don't joke about these things. Like don't do mm. it. It's not funny. <laughs> like
2: yeah, It's like, it's this, it, the characters in this book are like, we love politics. Like, we love the down and dirty of it. And like, that's like, a, and I get that. Like, when I went, I, for a long time in high school, I was like, oh, I want to be a political science major. But again, like, the Trump of it really changed it. And I guess kind of like, woke me up to be like, no, like this, like, it's not, it's not something that I feel like we as Americans should kind of change our perception of like politics, even being like fun, you Mm, know, it's like they, they probably shouldn't be, you know, and obviously I'm not a politician. So um, (laughs) could we talk about the Senator, um, the openly gay Senator I'm, I'm blanking on. Raphael Luna. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. Was there something in specific that you want to talk about or just like, just, just
2: his arc, his arc. And like what, like, what type of figure do you, like, we think he represents? Like, what, like, analogy from our current political landscape Ooh. do you think that that this character was kind of trying to get at? That's tough. Because to, all oh, and I guess just for listeners, like, basically the deal with this senator is he is openly gay, Alex is super close with him, and then he goes to work for um, the opposing the Republican candidates campaign. And so obviously, like Alex and his family feel very betrayed. Then at the end, it's revealed that this president or the the other opponent had mm-hmm. like sexually assaulted him when he was a staffer. Um, and then he, uh, this candidate had like dirt on him and basically blackmailed him, um, into into working with him. Ugh. I, I don't, I don't know. Bad, yeah. yeah.
0: Bad. <laughs> so I think one of the things. It almost felt to me like Rafael Luna, while he had some characterization, was in there as a plot device in a particular mm-hmm. way that was, like, like there was some dialogue. I was just skimming over the end of it again before we started recording where, like, I think it was – I don't remember if it was Raphael or Alex's dad who said, like, oh, well, like, he was going to do whatever needed to be done to keep, like, a abusive predator out of office. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, that is clearly speaking – you know, about not wanting a particular president to be in office right. and
1: or a um a judiciary member to be on the Supreme Court or, you know I'm not allowed to talk about him publicly anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like Sorry I, to interrupt, go ahead. No, it's okay. I just it felt even he felt like a more fully developed character until it seemed like he was being used as a plot device for that reason mm-hmm. and was kind of thrown away and also like his own political career was thrown away because he was there to be sort of a useful tool to be like oh well it's it's the president's it's this campaign that leaked the emails so now we know and people will get it and understand that they're bad but he's almost a sacrificial lamb in that Mm -hmm. way yeah Mm -hmm.
2: and i just oh go ahead sophie
0: i
3: was just gonna say something too that like and this might this might be like me clutching my pearls a little bit too hard but There is something really specific to me where, like, this relationship that exists between Alex, his father, and this senator, Rafael Luna, um, is very specific in that all three of them are Latino men. Mm -hmm. And that's what they, that's, like, what brings them together. That's what creates this bond that's more than politics between the three of them. Mm -hmm. These scenes in which it's being written by a person who is not Mexican feel, felt to me a little bit like too inside baseball with the way the guys were talking to one another like a little bit like it just felt kind of like a caricature of how maybe a white person thinks that Mexican men would talk to one another like is that pearl
1: clutchy as like a white woman coming into that so I'm not gonna lie that was something that I was thinking about a lot in this text and I think for me not to like move too much away from the conversation about Rafael, but for me it really zoned in on Zara as like Mm -hmm. a very kind of strong black woman archetype kind of figure and it's not that those kind of characters can not exist but it sounds like right she's the only black person in the entire book if was i was nora
2: black cr-
1: i didn't read it. they didn't black. say
2: okay okay I, I i'm only so. saying that because i looked up fan art after <laughs> of the matter, so i was like oh she's black i guess i guess i missed that but I mean it, it wasn't explicitly
0: yeah. It's, it's worth thinking about the way that we are supposed to read and figure out who is what ethnicity mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> when we're not listening to someone do a bad accent on an audiobook. <laughs> yeah. But like
3: That might be part of my uncomfortableness with it, where it was mm. like this very like, you know, the use of slang in Spanish and things like that that were kind of being thrown out that I was just like you know, there's different ways to write this that doesn't feel like too familiar with like a way of like a very specific codified way that a community speaks to each other that like you're not a part of and i maybe that's because i'm coming out of like a program in college where in like the creative writing classes i took there were a lot of like white kids writing like really really crazy dialogue between characters of color (laughs) that was like somebody come in here and shoot me in the face (laughs) before i have to critique this um But yeah, it's just like this weird, it feels like melting pot fan fiction. Yeah. In those ways. Where it's like everybody, like there's not a lot of talk of about, like besides like the obvious, there's not a lot of talk about in the workplace that this is depicting how people's races affect their experience.
1: Yeah, I feel like it was a lot of surface kind of conversations about like imperialism. And we took all of these things from other countries and don't want to give them back because the queen doesn't want to return the art, but not actually like on-the-ground conversations, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but a news article, I think it was The Guardian, put it out the other day about how, like, people of color and immigrants were not allowed to have roles in uh, Buckingham Palace that were not servant roles until, like, mm-hmm. 1969 or something like that. What? Um, so, it, I don't know. It just, these things keep coming out that I'm kind of like, they they seem to be speaking to the novel in a way, even if it's unintentional. But, yeah, a lot of it kind of feels like, And we put in the notes kind of like hashtag representation, right? Mm -hmm. Very surface level. Like, Mm -hmm. look, almost like, I don't know if this is too dated to reference, but kind of like how Power Rangers has a little bit of everybody in it, but they're just there for like the window dressing. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Sophie was saying that it was like, in terms of like the LGBTQ plus of it, it was like, okay, well, we're going to tick off one, each of these categories. Like, well, specifically at the end, I felt like it was kind of like it was like oh amy who is like a, a staffer is like oh she's trans like that's implied mm-hmm. yeah, and by I'm, the way yeah by the way this whole time yeah. and, she's been
3: trans right like, and,
2: but, and the author is is non-binary so mm-hmm. i i get i i get it so i don't want to be too like um whatever of it but yeah it did and i think that's something that's a hard line to walk like yeah. as a as i guess like as a white author which is obviously like this is not really like a real problem to have but it's like yeah, like, how do you include diversity and, like, make people feel represented without being, like, I have to check all these boxes and, like, mm-hmm. p- making people feel tokenized. And that's that's hard to do. And, like, I, I don't think I would know how to do that. So I don't, you know.
1: So I'm going to flip the script a little bit around the other way. Are there moments where we felt like representation broadly was done well in the text? Because there are these kind of sticky points that we're noticing. But are there moments where it felt mm. more authentic that we kind of were like oh okay that's really cool like so oh you know what pez is obviously black um so i think and we i said somebody wanted to talk about pez or about money laundering i think that Mm. was yes yeah that was me sorry that's
3: a pretty outlandish accusation but anytime i hear of rich people running multiple charities i'm like (laughs) why multiple it's like Where's the money? Where's it moving? What's sure, happening? Sure. Show me the tax forms. Like, yeah, um, I mean,
2: I I did like the dynamics of of you know uh, uh, Pez, June, Nora, Henry, Alex, and Beatrice. Like mm-hmm. as like a group, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a like a commingling of like different sexualities and and races. Like, I guess I liked that in like the way that it represented like a a friend group. I don't know. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I like that. And I I think I think that there was some thought thrown into like intersection uh, intersectionality of like Alex being being Latino and also being gay. Like mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. like that was something that he had to consider when coming out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I will also say I liked Nora's sort of non dramatic coming to terms with being bisexual, particularly yes. in contrast to Alex's, because mm-hmm. Alex sort of mm-hmm. has this like. I don't know identity crisis about it, which is totally fine and if you have an identity crisis about that, that's cool, but also not everyone does, so including mm-hmm. multiple kinds of stories, even though Nora's like coming to terms with being bi was like not that big a deal. you wouldn't write an off broadway play about it like it is a nice sort of coward counterpoint, I think, so that there's mm-hmm. so maybe it's mm-hmm. when there's instances of more than one person having a different experience within the text it makes it feel less box checky
3: totally Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i felt that i was just gonna say that because it was like that scene where he rushes in and Nora's is the first person he kind of verbally processes processes this with and essentially comes out to that scene to me felt like something that would actually happen between two queer friends because like a big misconception that i feel like people have is like you know in a group of friends we're like multiple people are queer they're all having the same experience of it Mm -hmm, which is like mm -hmm. in my life so far that definitely has not happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like everybody you know expresses and has come to terms with things and thinks about themselves in a different way. So to have the dialogue between two characters who would be viewed by like a more heteronormative piece of media as like essentially having the same sexuality, they're both mm-hmm. bisexual. Mm-hmm. You saw the, the diversity of experience between the two of them where she was like, yeah, like I'm by like, I don't know. I don't, I can't tell if you're you, if you're bi. I just knew I was by like, and he's like, well, he's like tabulating, the yeah. things that make him straight mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. the things that make him gay and kind of having this freak out about it. I thought that was really cool.
2: Yeah. Uh, what? One other thing that I think, like, kind of going off of, like, like representation race stuff that mm-hmm. can, like, do you guys want to talk about this in context with kind of, like, the Harry and Meghan stuff that Absolutely happened this year? yes.
1: Yep. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah.
2: Because, one, that was, like, a sticky point to me in that. And this isn't necessarily a fault of the book, but just like, you know, a fault of living in in our world and not Mm -hmm. the world of this (laughs) book was Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, like it was easier in the reality of this book for this prince to come out as gay, you know, because he was white than it was for just like a black woman to just be in the Mm -hmm. royal family. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay,
1: (laughs) you know, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) No, no, I was totally thinking about that. I literally could not stop thinking about it while reading it. Because I mean, it's obviously not the exact same situation, but Meghan Markle is also biracial, right? Right. Um, and there is just such vitriol towards her as a black woman in mm-hmm. the media. Um, you know, I didn't watch their whole Oprah interview, but I watched like the Crips that were on Twitter. Right. right. Oh yeah, um, I, I saw the whole thing.
3: So oh yeah. okay. If you need a, a bibliography, just let me know.
1: Well, <laughs> you probably know this better than I do, then. But like it. it It seems like their experience from inside and outside of the palace was terrible. You know, the one quote that stood out to me was somebody worrying about what color their son was going to be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, so, and that's one of those moments where, again, it was like too far away and too close. The thought that then the doors open up for this young biracial, bisexual man to become an official suitor is kind of like, wow, they... They chased Megan and Harry out the country. Right, yeah. <laughs> they know? said literally don't come back here. Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. And I
2: for think... her just existing. Like that's yeah, the other mm-hmm, thing yeah. is like that's I mean, it is breaking norms, but like it's not it's different on paper. Like I like it, it shouldn't that shouldn't have to be something that that was so controversial to them, but yeah, yeah. it was and it's I it's think... sad. Like yeah, <laughs> the mm-hmm, fantasy right. is like oops, mm-hmm. it's just a fantasy. <laughs>
3: I think, though, that you can, like, the the feeling that we all have toward probably the Harry and Meghan situation is similar, maybe, to, like, it can help us contextualize how we feel about this book, which is that, mm. like, okay, the Harry and Meghan thing, it's, like, obviously, like, there's this weird, like, imperialism of it all. of like, the fact that anybody is even marrying into a royal family where, like, taxpayers and, like, a huge land trust, like, pay their charity like their bills to like go around and start you know whatever charity they please at like any given time but also at the same time it's like so like we can be a little bit like oh Megan like what's going on why are you like like what's going on there like you're complicit in something but at the same time we can be like okay like that like they are fucking racist and like this is really (laughs) fucked up that like the british media like cannot deal and cannot like literally even if they tried could not speak about her in a Mm -hmm, respectful way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and to me that reminds me of this book where it's like we have this like cool representation of like a like a queer romance novel like this through and through is a queer romance novel mm-hmm. and we are a little uncomfortable with like the imperialism of, of it all but at the same time it's like it's a it's an important step for at yeah. least some little tile of representation
4: mm-hmm. on the
1: wall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and for me I hope it bodes that there will be others. You know what I mean, especially because mm-hmm. this was such a critical success, con- uh, such a critical success. Because um, I know the concern is always like, oh, if you have one of one movie of a kind that doesn't do well, they're not going to make anymore for like mm-hmm. five, totally. ten years. So, like, I'm glad that this did so well, even if we have our critiques of it, because it means yeah. that there will be more, and that the author will keep writing, and that, I mean, authors usually do better and better work as they write for longer and longer times not to say that this yeah. was a bad book but like you know well
2: i i just pulled up i wasn't i just was like one last stop that's about a train <laughs> but I, did, <laughs> I didn't actually look at the description yes, of it bitch. yeah i'm like i'm like i will pick it up if it's about a train like i love trains whatever um but it's about um it's it's a lesbian romance which is you know perhaps selfishly more up my alley than, yeah, than was. This book was. yeah um but yeah, so I, I mean, I'm excited, and I, and I did enjoy reading it, I mean, it, like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the critique does not negate the fact that it is,
3: like, important, probably, uh in the canon of, like, new, new adult lit. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, it's like, I said at the beginning, this is, like, this is exactly what I would have gone to pick up as somebody bridging the gap between young adult lit and adult Mm -hmm. lit, like, Mm -hmm. this is the book, and, like, this book is perfect for someone in that age range you know what i mean who is still forming their ideas around these things i think mm, mm-hmm. you know as people who have been fully you know voting and you know as english um,
2: majors who have right. graduated <laughs> majors as, like vote. people with with or about to get doctorates like, right. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah,
3: sitting like living through the last you know however many years of like really watching the you know any illusions you still held about like the inherent goodness of American democracy falling in the last, you know, Mm 10 years being mm -hmm. like being having a front row seat to that. It's a little more like, you know, these things that shouldn't necessarily strike us as like, you know, taking us out of the world do. Yeah. And so I think that for a younger reader, like this book is, it's a great summer read. It's a lot of fun you get this really fun queer romance maybe you learn a thing or two about Alexander <laughs> Hamilton and the letters that he wrote yeah.
2: and guys my if you is- if you if this sparked your interest in Alexander Hamilton boy do i have a lot of content for you <laughs> <laughs> someone's like been living under a rock and they're like hmm this Hamilton
3: guy <laughs> well my thing is like why was like if this like a maybe, like, assumed queerness of Hamilton, if everybody knows about it, like, why wasn't it in the musical? It's Broadway. Like, give us yeah, like on, give us a moment. Like, come uh, on. Uh, like, give uh, us a give us a moment. Like, at least be like, he might have been by in one song. Like... <laughs> I, I feel deprived. I,
2: I think also, like, Sophie, you kind of brought this up, but like, uh, at the end, he makes this big coming-out speech, basically, mm, and kind of the crux mm-hmm, of it mm-hmm. is, like, this... Actually, like, this is America, like, like, even though this book, I feel like for a lot of it did teeter on the edge of being like, you know, um, America is, you know, just another country or there was like, at the end, like, kind of a punch of patriotism that, that, you know, good or for for better or worse, I am uncomfortable with in
1: 2021. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of essentializing the nature of what the country is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, kind of as a last thought, something, and I know I keep coming back to back to the fact that we all study English. So forgive me, <laughs> but like <laughs> to be a little extra about it, I felt like this book was very masturbatory about the study of English. Um, <laughs> in that we had an English PhD wielding princess, which, admittedly, like I can see the dream of that. Maybe not an English princess, but like a doctor and a prince. Being a princess sounds kind of nice. Um, but then also our male lead who is not only gorgeous and attractive but also studies english literature at oxford you know and then in all of these emails they have quotes that are at the bottom it feels very much like trying to appeal to a certain kind of like english literature study sensibility that i kind of picked up on that i honestly i'm not 100 how i feel about it because on one hand i feel like as a teen, I would totally do that, like, I'm gonna put quotes in the letter to tell you how much I love you from all of these people. Like, that's the kind of shit that I would have done, mm-hmm. but also at this point, I'm like, uh, okay. That's a decision
0: it,
2: that was made. It, and I think, oh, sorry, go ahead,
0: Corinne. Oh, I mean, it reminds me, I don't even remember what book it was from, but it was someone saying, like, only people between a certain age of, like, 16 to, like, 22 feel, like, that comfortable being that overtly romantic, and once you get mm. past a certain age, it's just kind of, like, embarrassing rude and there <laughs> i've had a reverse evolution <laughs> <laughs> i mean but like i think it's it also to maybe get a little bit a little bit englishy and kind of nerdy about it i'm always interested in epistolary choices in mm. books because like it reminds me of this is a very nerdy part but we read pamela by samuel richardson in a class that i took in undergrad which is like a 17 17- hundreds novel that's like mm-hmm. in letters but like it's it's a very like weird rapey kind of novel but like the way that the guy who like is keeping his servant girl basically captured it that right. he like falls in love with her is he reads her letters to her parents and is like <laughs> i hate that
4: yeah. <laughs> oh it's a very
0: it's a very <laughs> weird book it's but anyway, but, like, this idea of, like, reading someone's letters as a way to, like, fall in love with them, like, without their knowledge is very interesting in the way of, like, people reading Alex and Henry's emails as a way to sort of, mm. like, fall in love with their relationship. Mm. If- like, be not homophobic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think I- there was, like, kind of, um, you know, with with the literature of it. Um, and like the epistolary nature, there was like a lot of like interesting, like pooled multimedia texts, mm, one of mm-hmm, which that really mm-hmm. stood out to me was there was like a section where it was like a tweet from Jezebel and then a tweet from Nate Silver. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, was, like, <laughs> I was like, this is at least like, I, I, I found that to be a curious choice because again it's like walking that line of like how much do you want to go into fantasy in this mm-hmm, in this fake mm-hmm, world it's like mm-hmm. yeah nate Silver's real and he had a rough go of it after the 2016 election <laughs> it was just it was just kind of interesting inclusions as well as jezebel yeah. i'm like that's a very like i don't know and then the the thing i wanted to say about um that Iani you were saying about like the literature mm-hmm. the, the quotes i think that i think it goes to show that as english majors we're we are not making podcasts about the canon, right? Like, we're talking about, Mm -hmm. like, books that... Yes, this is what I... Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, I, you know, totally those texts, like, have their place, absolutely, but, like, that's not... Also, the only book that Alex was fucking reading was Harry Potter. Like, they mentioned that, like, five <laughs> times that he was like, I picked up my rugged copy of Prisoner of Azkaban and threw it in my bag. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it it And, you know, similarly with being outwardly romantic, like, maybe that's a time in one's life where you're like, I have to establish myself as really smart and knowing a lot about mm-hmm. literature, mm-hmm, where then when you're mm-hmm. an adult, you're like, you know, you can read whatever.
3: Right. Uh, yeah. Like, this is the thing that I kept thinking about when reading their emails is, like, I feel like... And we all, you know, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but we all are people who've kind of found... In, in the study of literature, things that are t- fully outside of the the canon as, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. our main interest areas. yeah. And this sort of myth of the canon that still pervades, even we come to this queer romance novel as, like, a fun, like, yes, this is the exact kind of literature that I choose to engage myself mm-hmm, with because, mm-hmm. because it is outside of the canon in a lot of ways. Like, the myth of the canon still informs the whole thing like yeah. there's the, the, there's this idea that we have all read George Eliot yeah like or nope. that we have and all have read not. Dickens an or Major. Whitman I know like this <laughs> yeah,
2: idea Walt that Whitman, well, oh, gay oh. Icon Walt Whitman yeah
3: like all of these things where it's like well of course because you studied at English at Oxford you've read you know great expectations and Mm -hmm. it's like it's just odd it's very it's a very odd thing to sort of wrestle with because it's like this is not what like that field really like the the primary you know cutting edge scholarship of People studying for advanced degrees in that field right now, like that's not really what's happening in a lot of cases. Like that's not what people people aren't sitting around kind of being like, "What you know, Dickens quote should I send to my lover?" Like,
1: <laughs> I mean, I you'd be surprised. It, it was surprise.
3: of times,
2: but like it was also kind of the worst. Of times, so. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't, and and you you guys are both more enmeshed in higher education than we are at the moment, uh. so perhaps this is true. You know. <sighs>
1: So it's kind of weird because the program that we're in is very much like open to people who study things outside of the beaten path.
0: Yeah. So, like, outside of
1: the quote unquote. Where
0: where do you guys go again? We're at the University of Florida and like UF Mm -hmm. has the top, some of the top programs in the country and comics, which is what Ayani does, and Mm -hmm. children's literature, which is what I do. So, we're not really the kind of people who wanted to go to school to study dickens right no and yeah. the kind of- as
3: you shouldn't be like <laughs> yeah. no
2: only dickens wants to do that
1: <laughs> get dickens down oh or- there you go <laughs> yeah but there are like you know victorianists in our program or people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. do that kind of although work. you're having a gap. no yeah no
0: i mean even with the victorianists though there's like sort of a move towards the study of empire so looking at like Mm -hmm. the -hmm. literature of the colonies in the victorian era Mm -hmm. is becoming sort of more in vogue but i also wonder if that is like i think part of it is by virtue of like we are are at the university of florida we are not at harvard or yale where uh, or oxford
3: Mm -hmm. yeah oh um yeah i mean i think that I mean, everybody I know who is, like, either a Victorianist or, you know, like, an early modernist, like, something like that, it's all a a new sort of tilt where, like, you know, my friend who's a Victorianist is studying, like, depictions of reproductive health and choices oh, mm-hmm. in, yeah, very interesting, um, and, like, this idea that, like, you can go to those things as a way to deconstruct empire and deconstruct pa- patriarchy, mm-hmm. I just, I see more of, at least in my interactions with people who are getting advanced degrees in literature, maybe it's, you know, the bias of, like, who I am as a person, but Mm. that's what I see more of than, like, people being like, I'm gonna read Shakespeare, and a lot of it, like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think, I don't think any of, I could be wrong, I'm gonna say this, and then someone's gonna write me a note and be like, um, Ayani, I am a Shakespeare scholar, but, like, we don't, none of our like folks or Shakespeare people I mean right? we don't really have like a Shakespeare
0: I mean we we have someone who does Shakespeare but we don't really have a Shakespeare a Shakespearean professor here so someone who wants to study yeah. Shakespeare wouldn't come here.
1: Oh, that's right. Fair. Okay. Um
0: yeah. like we don't have a medievalist so like if you want to be a medievalist don't come to Florida. <laughs> Right. Stay, Stay out, out Stay of Florida. <laughs> yeah.
2: Go to medieval times, bitch, if you want to study medievalists. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> but also, you said that, and now I low key want to go to medieval times and like eat the big pieces of meat oh my with gosh. my hands. <laughs> like
2: that is. I think there is one in Illinois. Uh, some some background context. So Sophie and I both live in Chicago. Sophie's about to move out of state for a law school program. So Ooh. it's very exciting. However, I feel like so- Sophie moves beginning of July. Maybe we got to go. To medieval times, like COVID, like we're vaccinated Dog, now. My I don't my feel number vaccinated one vaccinated
3: against medieval times. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, I don't feel comfortable going there. I haven't I'm done sorry. it yet, but
2: my number one post vaccination like thing, like this is what kept me going. Is like I can't wait to go back to IKEA. Like that is like like has been my dream this past year, <laughs> which is kind of a themed. The theme of of IKEA is is Sweden, right? Like, and oh, so sure. it's kind of a themed. It's its own sort of you know themed experience. So I don't know. We we can we'll work something out, Sophie.
1: I support you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But actually, I know I said last thing, but looping back to the emails, it just reminded me of something that when the emails were linked was actually when I think my adrenaline was running the highest in the entire story. Mm -hmm. Because I knew that she was going to drop. I was like, these babies are sending emails back and forth on their work e- emails like you don't do that <laughs> hr
3: hr would be calling you the moment you sent the first right? one
2: right they'd like, be like you used the word dick like, <laughs> like oh yeah. my yeah.
3: your emails would get flagged they wouldn't go through right yeah, had that
4: happen like,
1: before yeah okay yeah shout out me too <laughs> <laughs> but when they were leaked i think I was Not that I didn't find the romance compelling because I did, but it was just in those moments that I was so concerned for the characters that it mm-hmm. kind of washed away some of the other kind of critiques I was having of the book because I was just so worried about what was going to happen to them yeah. because of – and I guess part of that was because I know what our public – Backlash would be like. Right. Um, and I I don't know. I was just very I, I think the sequence when Alex broke down crying and then all of his family was around him and hugging him and supporting him um, was one of the sequences that kind of got a couple tears out of me. Yeah. So I, I think honestly, I know we were kind of bagging on the emails a little bit, but I think for me that was one of the more interesting through lines of the narrative. Totally. Um, yeah. and how it kind of came together in this moment of his family coming Mm -hmm. together, and then also Henry's family kind of coming together, the queen notwithstanding. Though I imagined her bob to be like so sharp the way they described it. I was like, okay, queen. I see. Yeah, Yeah, razor (laughs) edge.
2: I did think it was funny... And you know, I know like, you know, world leaders are usually old, but it was funny when the princess, Henry's mom, was talking to the queen and was like, Mom, I'm 60. Like she <laughs> had to talk to the other dad, Like, damn, Queen, like you are old. Like, <laughs> like mm. And then like she like accused, uh, she was like, if you don't let Henry come out as gay, like I'm going to tell the press about your like your slipping memory <laughs> was basically like what? the implication. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs>
1: Oh, but oh. also very concerning. Yeah. I was like, you yeah, you absolutely. should just let them know. That seems like something you should just tell them. Yeah. But okay.
3: <laughs> right. Uh yeah. No comment on <laughs> no comment <Yeah>. on that.
2: <laughs> we we don't we certainly as as a nation don't have any experience with older men who maybe
0: have <laughs> no. some <Yeah>. the <laughs> no. decline
2: ruling really our country. That's not no. something we could talk about right now. <laughs>
0: ah. <laughs> i mean i guess maybe in a sort of wrapping up kind of way we've been (laughs) a little bit hard on this book i think rightly so but i will say i did i did really like it i enjoyed reading it it was an enjoyable experience for me and it made me cry more than one time so same
2: yeah it was fun i mean i like it it was again you know sophie and i were saying that we mostly have to read like books written for 13 year olds and i was like Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. nice to read a book number one for pleasure and two that was kind of like marketed at at my age range like mm-hmm, in a non mm-hmm. like i don't know this wasn't like a it was a buzzy book in some ways but this wasn't like fake accounts like like the, yeah. uh, the other books i'm like trying to like work my way through like in a in a critical way i'm like this was a fun like beach read and mm, yeah. i liked it mm-hmm. and i'm certainly gonna buy this author's the the train book yeah, <laughs> yeah. summertime, yeah, summertime, yeah, summertime train time should be reading yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I hope we get a lot of, like, inside baseball
0: and, like, how a train works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's – I hate to burst your bubble, but I think it might be a subway train book, not, like, Fuck. a train train. <laughs> Subways? Oh, my gosh. I miss the subway so much. I think there's also time travel. I don't know. It sounds like a lot. I'll probably read it. but <laughs> I thought yeah. there was time travel. I'm not
1: making that up. I thought Mm-mm. there was something with the time travel in the subway and going, like – back in time on the train i think
0: one of the ladies is displaced in time yeah
1: that's fun so that's sexy i like that yeah so it sounds like we're all reading the next book so we like this one enough to be like yeah okay lesbians trains time travel i'm here for it yeah well i had a great time talking about red white and royal blue with y'all this was a lot of fun and there were a lot of feelings, and. You know, Loki, I got a little angrier than I thought I was going to <laughs> when we were talking about it. Like, I was plotting it out, and all my notes are kind of like, Ayani was annoyed by this. But then I got, like, mad. I don't know. <laughs> but if folks want to find y'all outside of this little podcast microcosm that we've created, where can they find you? Where is Girls Like Us located?
3: So the best place to find us is either our Twitter or our Instagram uh, conveniently enough they have the same name so we're at we're at girls like Us show on both twitter and instagram there you'll find links to um finding our episodes on any podcast service that you may use you can find out whatever we're up to at the moment whatever we're, we're reading at the moment whatever we're thinking about and also we try to be really interactive with folks specifically in our instagram dm so if you ever have any questions for us or like suggestions um the instagram dms or our google form are the best place to go you can find our google form at girls dot show that's our website check us out there um and then yeah any of our any of our accounts like you can always get into contact with us there and follow us we make memes about like children's <laughs> lit all the time um People usually like them, so that's kind of our main pursuit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to find us, uh, you can find Sex Lovelit at Sex Lovelit on both Instagram, Twitter, and also on Facebook because we're old, so we got the Facebook page for that. Ah, and what are we doing next day, Ani?
1: Well, our uh, June La Petite episode is going to be called Why Sex? Um, So if you haven't noticed, our title has three words in it, sex, (laughs) love, and literature. Oh, my God. So what we're going (laughs) to do is a series of short episodes where we kind of think of how each of those words make up our podcast. So the first one we're going to do is Why Sex, um, in which we'll think a little bit about what brought us to want to talk about sex in a podcast beyond, you know, being thirsty so that'll be our june la petite and then for our july deep dive next month we are going to be watching the tearjerker anime film your name also known as kimi no nawa um which i cried so many tears i couldn't drive my car right away afterwards i had to (laughs) just like sit and weep for like five minutes yeah i've Um, been there Hansen. yeah
0: this is the anime film ayani has decided to drag me into anime with so i
1: guess that will be fun for me It's it's been a fight i've been trying to find other things but like a lot of them are either like gory or whatever mm-hmm. and you know i think this one will be fun for you and hopefully you'll cry a little bit and i I'm, sure, I'm sure responses. i'll cry a, i'm sure i'll cry a lot i cry a lot at a lot of things that's very fair that's very fair um so yeah i think this has been our episode of sex love literature girls like us thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today thank you for having us this was was amazing yeah this was fun all right until next time we'll see y'all later